Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. My name is Ricky, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hi, Ricky. Welcome to the panel of discussion this morning on relapse. Is it really fatal, chronic relapse, and getting traction? I will be your moderator uh, for this panel. And here it says, In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the essay message, the ses- this session will be recorded. <clears throat> Excuse me. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. And if you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with the recording equipment. We will begin the meeting within with a few moments of silent silence, followed by the prayer method, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. If someone has the white book, would you please read the essay purpose found on page 201? I'm the Aaron Sexaholic. Hey, Darren. Hey, Darren. 201, the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve the common problems and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop busting and having sexual disorder. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not a lot with any sex, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, either endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to say stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Thanks, Thanks there. Our panelists for this session are Warren P., Graham S., and Garrison. Each one will share for 10 minutes on the topic, and we will open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming our panelists. Our first panelist, you will have to sit up to 10 minutes for sharing. If you get to two minutes, I will flash the card. This kind of reminds me of Toastmasters. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get to uh, your 10 minutes, I will show you the, the red stop card and then let you know that you're out of time. Right, so we will begin our, our sharing with Warren P. Hi, my name is Warren. I am a sexaholic. Um, my sobriety date is July 5th, 2016. 
And, uh, no, sorry. <clears throat> um, my background is, I think, mixes equal parts typical essay background and, and atypical. Um, I was married very young. Um, I didn't, well, let me go back a little further. Total normal childhood. Not abused, not uh, mistreated in any way. I had two loving parents and an asshole older brother that picked on me. The normal stuff. Um, <laughs> exposed to porn uh, at, at, a, at a age appropriate. I mean, you know, 15, 16, your buddy has steals his dad's Playboy, shows it to you, and you go, oh, boobs. Um, you know, went to college. Uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, got married probably too young. Um, got married when I was 22 uh, to my college sweetheart, um, and and really just sort of thought that that was it. And then found uh, internet porn about the time that high speed internet became available, uh, and just took to that like. A, I mean, that was my thing, man. I loved it because I thought of it as a victimless, innocent thing. Um, not realizing that I was slowly cutting myself off from my friends and my wife and my family. Um, but I was, you know, I had a good job. I was providing, and this is what I did at night when everybody else was asleep, and where was the harm? Um, well, that wasn't the only reason I got divorced, but it was certainly a contributing factor. And then after my divorce, I just wallowed in my addiction. Um, took um, you know emotionally abused uh, willing uh, participants um, after my divorce um, and really just sort of hit rock bottom when I realized all that I had done um, and then met a girl uh, got remarried and just took right up to my old habits you know just right back to the internet porn um, I wasn't I didn't I didn't cheat on her in the in the physical sense of a different partner, but I certainly wasn't faithful to her in in, in the emotional uh, or spiritual sense because every day I was on the internet. Um, I work from home and I work on my computer ten to twelve hours a day, so it's I think it was once described as like trying to trying to fight a crack addiction with a crack pipe attached to you. Um, and so you know. Things went on, and then uh, a partner from before when I re- when I got married contacted me, and we started engaging in a text relationship. And my wife caught me on July fourth of twenty sixteen, and it just sort of all exploded. As I'm sure other people can relate, it was just crying and wailing from both of us. Um, and I just sort of realized, in a, in a moment of clarity, I guess the 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 people that I had harmed generally, including specifically my wife. And I woke up the next day and I uh, got on the internet. And <laughs> instead of going to X videos, I went to uh, org and I got into the, into the program. And I, you know, I was not a spiritual person. I think probably comparatively, I'm still not. Um, but that has been into the point of the panel. Uh, I always feared chronic relapse. I never thought that I could stop masturbating and stop looking at porn because A, feels good, and B, it's 
so easily available. I mean, good God, there's no other addiction that I know of. I don't know if there is. Please don't tell me. There's no other addiction that's so easily satisfied than 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 lusting and, and internet porn and masturbation. Um, God Almighty, it, it's just you can't. I was driving on 285 over here, and, and the billboards are are just triggers, you know. Um, so I always feared chronic relapsing. Um, the thing I feared more than relapsing was getting divorced again. Having done that once, I would do anything to not do that again, and that's how I ended up in SA, and that's how I just gave myself over to the program and to the steps. Um, you'll probably hear that a lot today. Uh, I, I guess I get I get to be the lucky guy to say it first, but the program and the steps really do work. I was a huge doubter. Um, I still have some doubts in the corners of my mind, but if you give yourself to the program, if you work the steps, if you are faithful to the steps and to your sponsor, then there's hope. It's not a fatal. It's not chronic relapsing is not fatal. It will stick. My I've gone through three sponsors in in my term of sobriety who have relapsed while I have maintained sobriety. Um, and for a while there, it was just white knuckle. Like I remember when my second sponsor relapsed and said, "You know, I can't be your sponsor anymore. I'm you know going to get a white shovel." I thought. There's no hope for me. Yeah, and I'm jinxed. Like I keep sending all these nice people back to back to their addiction. Um, but you know, you wake up, and the thing that that helped me with my my spiritual deficit was the morning meditation and the morning prayer. I started out by just calling it morning meditation because that's not prayer. If you just sit quietly and gather your thoughts, you're not. You know, that's 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 different. But then over time, it's sort of morph into prayer and it would be sort of a I remember it, I remember when it hit me because I would start and I would meditate and I would just sit there and I have really bad ADD which you can probably sense um, and so I would try and meditate and my brain would just be ping-ponging everywhere and then I thought okay well what I'm going to do is I'm going to set sort of an agenda for the day I'm going to say to hurry up uh, I'm going to make an agenda here's what I'm going to do I'm going to work on these projects and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make a call, or I'm going to text somebody uh, within the program, to be clear. Um, and then that agenda setting out of meditation led to a prayer of, just, you know, God, give me the strength to, to get through this day. Give me the strength to, to not, to resist the temptation I know is coming, to, to, to be mindful of the program, to be mindful of steps, to reach out to people, and to help myself by helping others and that's when I remember thinking oh god I'm praying Um, (laughs) crap they got me Uh, and so is chronic relapsing fatal? no why is it not fatal? because of this program and the steps just because you failed not even failed, because you've slipped it's not a failure, It's, it's human especially male human behavior it's hard to reprogram your brain. If you feel if you slip, don't feel like that is fatal. Don't feel like you can't go get a white chip and start over. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It's it's um, embarrassing on some level. But but do it. Get the white chip. Recommit yourself to the program. And and ju- remember what they say when they hand you that chip. It's for twenty four hours. It's the lifestyle. Just commit to twenty four hours. 
and then the next day commit to another 24 hours, and then another 24 hours. And if you do that enough, and you do it consistently, it will become habit, and it will become a habit hopefully more powerful than the one you're trying to break. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for having My name's Graham. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Graham. Um, so, like the previous share, you know, there's a lot of commonalities in early childhood and what got me here. Um, I started coming to meetings in 2011 because I'd gotten fired uh, from my job for looking at pornography. And for the next three or four years, I was a chronic relapser in the program. And um, I was not a I was not a chronic relapser who left the program and then came back. I was a chronic relapser that stayed in the program and lied to people and was not honest and was hiding. Um, and I think so much of it was um, <clears throat> my ego, and it was me not being willing to admit what was true about me. Um, I would only admit enough to sound like I was sincere. Um, so for me, you know, the chronic relapse is, it's, it's what the disease talks about, you know, it's progressive. Um, my lusting progressed even within the program. Um, because I wasn't being honest, because I wasn't getting sober, and I wasn't experiencing um, real connection, like the program talks about the sunlight of the spirit. Um, <clears throat> I want to read a few things from the literature um, that really stuck out to me as I was praying this week about what to say and, and what God would have me say. Um, so in the white book, on page... 43, uh, there's a list of, it's basically just a, a lot of sentences. It's titled, Lust Kills. Lust is the most important thing in my life. It takes priority over me. Captive to lust, I cannot be myself. Lust makes me its slave. It kills my freedom. It kills me. Lust always wants more. Lust creates more lust. Lust is jealous. It wants to possess me. Lust makes me self-obsessed. It drives me into myself. Lust makes sex impossible without lust. Lust destroys the ability to love. It kills love. Lust destroys the ability to receive love. It kills me. Lust creates guilt, unavoidably, and guilt has to be expiated. Lust makes part of me want to die because I can't bear what I'm doing to myself and my powerlessness over it. Increasingly, I direct this guilt and self-hatred inward and outward. Lust is destructive to me and those around me. Lust kills the spirit. My spirit is me. Lust kills me. Um, so what's interesting, you know, when I read that, what, what I think of is... Um, when I was chronically relapsing, when lust was running my life, there was so much me involved, and there was so much me on the scene. And I think, in some ways, that's what kept me 
chronically relapsing is because I was adding more of me to the situation. It's that same idea of, you know, my own best thinking is what got me here. And I was still trying to apply my own best thinking of how to work the program. And I mean, it, it, there's a, there's a part in the step into action books that talk about, um, trying to use a sick mind to fix a sick mind. And that was me. I was trying, I was, I was applying my own best ideas and, and a lot of it was my own best efforts. You know, I just thought I'm going to try really hard. And, um, and I think some of that was for other people, right? So I wanted to look good. I wanted people to think that, man, this guy really understands what he's supposed to be doing, you know? And, um, you know, I, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I guess it's insane thinking, you know, of coming into a program for sex addicts and I want to look like the best possible sex addicts, you know, out there. I want to, I want to be the mayor of SA. And it's like, well, who's got to try to aspire to that? Um, but that was me for like three or four years in the program. I, I was not genuinely being honest and, and surrendering. I was trying to look good. So it was, and, and if I relapsed, it was because I didn't try hard enough. So I needed to make more phone calls. And if that didn't work, then I needed to set more alarms on my phone, you know? And if that wasn't enough, then I needed to up the number of phone calls again or up the number of meetings. And it was just me trying harder, me just applying more me to the problem. And that never worked. Um, <clears throat> even working the steps with sponsors never worked when it was me trying to figure it out. Um, somebody told me, I don't know where I heard this, um, but it's, it is now one of my favorite slogans in the program. And it is, um, figuring it out is not a slogan because that was me. I wanted to figure it out. You know, I wanted to come up with, okay, how am I going to do this? And, and how do I apply more of myself? And that never worked. Um, working the steps just to try to check the boxes, just to try to go through the motions. Um, that was engaging my head, I think, and it was engaging my ego. It was not me surrendering. It was not me moving into my heart and admitting what's really true about me. Because what's really true about me is my default is that I'm a sex addict. I'm a lustaholic. And without God, I will pick up lust every single time. I'm powerless over it. And I didn't want to admit that. And that was, I would, I would pretend like shame was really what was holding me back, but it was ego. It was not being willing to admit that this is really true about me. And, and I wanted to hold that back. I didn't want anybody, even you guys, to see what was really true about me on the inside. And so I worked the steps, but it was in a performance mindset. It was in a way of trying to, um, you know, do the right thing because this is what everybody said. And if I do this, then I'm going to look good. Uh, the next thing I wanted to read kind of relates to that work in the steps. So it's in the white book as well on um, the bottom of page 71. Um, <clears throat> so the title of this page at the top is we get a glimpse of ourselves. And the bottom says, though we keep hearing half measures avail us nothing, we go through the phase where they seem to avail us something. Apparently, we have to see this for ourselves and at our own pace, even if we fall flat on our faces. Thus, in the flush of newfound sobriety and success, we can be setting ourselves up for a fail. Lust is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and very patient. But if we want recovery, we keep coming back. 
And then it goes on to say, there's a quote that says, I believe in the steps. What's wrong? Why isn't it working for me? And then it says, we, we're sitting there staring into a space, and it dawns on our dullness. The steps won't work for me unless I work them. And for me, it was more than just working the steps. It was working the steps in honesty, in open-mindedness, in willingness, like the, the program talks about in the big, in the big book. Um, and it was working them in surrender. It was working them with a sponsor who was willing to take the time that I needed to be honest. Because that was what kept me back, is my ego. I didn't want to be honest. I did not want to admit what was true about me. And working the steps, for me, required absolute honesty. Um, I remember, it's kind of a joke now between my sponsor and I, um, but it, it's it's a, it kind of came out just randomly in one of the times that we were working together, and it, it I guess it riffs off of a quote from Star Wars, but my sponsor, you know, said to me, talking about me, he said, the sense of self is strong in this one. And and that's true about me, is that I am so hard-headed, and, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, myself as the solution, rather than I'm the problem. And, and I'm the one that causes all my own problems. Um, I used to hate that phrase in, in the white book that says, if there's something wrong, you know, if I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And now I realize that that's my gateway in, is that I have to look at myself and I have to say, I have to be honest. And if I'm honest, then I can connect to surrender. And if I can connect to surrender, then I can connect to my higher power. So that's all the time I have. Thanks for letting me share. My name's Garrison. I'm a sexaholic. Garrison. A lot in common, you know. Um, for me, uh, acting out, I, I was exposed to, to sex when I was three. I was molested by a babysitter. Uh, and then my house was just full of sexual material. Found my dad's porn stash very young, and it became a pretty habitual uh, rhythm and thing for me when I was about eight. Uh, and that just continued for me always using that to escape. I, I didn't and have really never... Uh, liked me until I got into these rooms very insecure and afraid. Um, there was a lot of shame in my house. And uh, that was just the pattern of life. And uh, the, the disease for me progressed from there, uh, wanting to always use anything and everyone around me uh, for lust, for sex, to really just get away from reality and fill up what was lacking in me, like the problem says. Um, and for me, my acting out, sex with myself, sex with others, uh, a lot of pornography. I actually checked my clock today for just the hours I've saved since being sober since March uh, 2016. It's over a 1,000 hours, which is over a month of time. Uh, so I'm grateful for that, but that was just a lot of a lot of my life. And then voyeurism, inappropriately groping people in public, um, it got pretty bad for me pretty early as well, because uh, as you can tell, I'm young, and that's not a normal thing uh, in here. But uh, that uh, acting out continued for me. Um, I, I am one of the people that 
re- chronically, chronically relapsed uh, out of the program. I, I came in when I was 19, uh, so someone noticed that I was taking advantage of people that I was leading and was like, I, I think you have a problem. <laughs> these, these people are underage, and you are using them to act out with. You should read this book. It's called The White Book. And uh, I read it. it. I got a lot of great knowledge, went to some meetings, and honestly, uh, what contributed to my chronically relapsing for years after that is I just I didn't think I had a real problem. I just thought I was masturbating some. And it was like, so what? Who cares? I'm 19 years old. Uh, and then I remember about two years after that, I came into a meeting and got the shit scared out of me. Uh, a good friend of mine now who had years sober had come back, uh, after having an affair. And I was like, whoo, damn. Uh, cause I knew in that moment that I was headed there and I knew enough about him to say, oh, I'm worse than he was at my age. Um, but that, that didn't click for me. I, I just wanted to do it as a previous show saying my way. I, I tried everything. Um, I did all the church groups, accountability filters, locked my phone up, locked my computer. It didn't matter. Um, I went to counseling. That was not, it was great. Not the solution though. I, I found that there is only one solution. And, uh, but, uh, I, I came into the program for real about six months. After uh, that time where I came in and saw one of my friends who had had an affair and um, still even in the rooms did not uh, did not believe that I had a problem. And for me, I, I finally realized that I did when there were about three people spending the night with me that were in the program uh, about a week after the last time I acted out. And I was going to sneak out to have sex with someone that I met online, knowing that I would come back, tell them, and go to a meeting the next day. I was like, that's that doesn't make much sense, does it? Um, but it seemed like an option, and I was like, I've sat here thinking about doing this for five hours. It's 4 a.m. I think it's time to actually do something different. And uh, the next day is when I got my sponsor who I've had since and I wrote some notes about what the actual solution is because I forget what that is. So I needed to write it down. Um, but I came in, I, I didn't want to get the sponsor I had cause he was kind of a hard ass and, uh, he calls himself a step Nazi and he is. So, uh, I, I asked him and immediately called me a selfish bastard and we got to work on the steps. And for me, uh, the, the hardest, uh, as I worked the steps, uh, in step one, I actually did see that this, this is fatal. Uh, maybe not in here physically all the time. I think in other fellowships, they talk about, yeah, you can OD or you take that first drink and you don't know where you're going to wake up. And maybe not for us. We can. I, I have seen people. I have friends six months ago. I had to take one of my friends to the ER, uh, cause he wanted to kill himself after acting out. So that is a real thing for us is if you, I've seen, uh, and even for me, if you stay in this room, in these rooms and keep acting out and you know the solution, but don't want to do it, that's a dangerous spot. It don't, you don't have to do that. Just like Warren was saying, you, you have other options. I have other options today. Um, but I think for me, I saw that the emotional and spiritual realm, it is, it is fatal to keep acting out if I want to be healthy in either of those areas. Um, and that was step one for me. Step two, uh, as I worked, it was the hardest for me. Uh, 
I prided myself in being a very religious and spiritual person and had a lot of knowledge about God. But I, in working it with my sponsor, realized that I had been functioning for years as an atheist, an agnostic, and I was living in complete contradiction. And that was a really hard pill to swallow for me. And, but it was, it was the entry into this program for me is actually, uh, what I saw is that I had a lot of faces of people that had hurt me stapled onto the face of my higher power. And in working that step and continuing to work that step, I get to take those faces off and see how my higher power actually views me. And that changed, that changed me. And, uh, step three, uh, the, the word surrender comes up. And I'm like, what is that? Uh, I pictured it being just this moment where I just, woo, and it's all gone and I'm better. Uh, but the reality for me is I've learned that will come, but I have to do the next right thing in here. And a lot of times surrender for me is just making a phone call and asking somebody for help because, you know, as someone else was saying, I, I, I want to rely on me and I want to isolate and I really, I really don't want to be honest sometimes in here, but the solution and surrender is accessible when I'm willing to connect with someone else. And, uh, I drove, we drove about three hours from Columbia. So we drove here like 5 a.m. this morning and we had some great conversation about what some of this disease is, is just an intimacy disorder. And I confuse the personal with the sexual. So if I ever want to, to break that trend in my life, I need to connect with other sexaholics. Uh, I need to realize how to actually connect in a personal and intimate way that doesn't have anything to do with acting out. Um, and yeah, I am really grateful for this program. I think the last thing I want to touch on is just uh, relating to God is has really, for me, become the source and the bedrock of my recovery. And... Uh, as I, I kind of just meditated and prayed uh, over this, and I think the big thing for me, as the previous show was saying, is I use my relationship with God and this program. My sponsor calls it, I use it like an addict. I work this program like an addict where I just want to, to take it uh, and, and feel something. But the reality is, for me, uh, I think I get traction and avoid chronic relapse when I realize that my life isn't always going to feel good and be great. Uh, but God, I can attach to him and, uh, and ask him for help instead of trying to escape all the time. So I'm being told to stop. So I will. Thanks. <laughs> because of our common welfare comes first. Here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not crosstalk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave others, other identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the essay point of view. Our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not SA or AA approved literature. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid profanity 
sexual description, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a person, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or deviates from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor or someone with a purple stripe on their name tag after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those who wish to share to please come up and sit in the chairs next to the microphone in a queue. As one person moves to the sharing chair, <laughs> as one person moves to the sharing chair, the other just move over and one person takes the empty chair. So that as many members as possible have the chance to share, please limit your sharing of two minutes or less. A stop sign will remind you when you have reached the two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. And so now the meeting is now open for sharing. Uh, Lee Pilots over lust. Uh, I really like this topic. Uh, it's really proven, proven true lately. I, uh, I was in the program for 10 years now. I left it last year because I didn't care about sobriety. Uh, so I said, there's no use to coming. So I was away for a year and, uh, I came back. I came back, uh, late January of this year. Um, uh, and, uh, I went to a, I was heading to a place to be lusted, to go and lust and be lusted after. But instead, I called a member in the program, and I said, where's the meeting at? And I went to the meeting instead. And even after the meeting, I was tempted to still go where I wanted to go. But uh, I had fellowship with a member of the, afterwards, and uh, he asked, he said, what will it take to get you serious about sobriety? And, uh, I shared with him, I said, well, probably if I got arrested for my actions, because then I would have so much guilt and shame that I would probably kill myself. But frankly, it never got to that point. But I realized that, um, uh, that I now take sobriety as a life and death situation. Uh, I've been sober since that date. Uh, I'm grateful to my higher power. Uh, before this was, I didn't have a spiritual program, uh, and now I do, uh, and that's really helped my recovery. So for that, I'm grateful to the program and for my higher power. Thanks, let me share. Hi, I'm uh, Pete. I'm a sex sex uh, sexaholic. Um, the theme being is this uh, chronic relapsing uh, fatal. Uh, I, I just wanted to share with with you all. I think it uh, can very uh, truthfully be fatal. Uh, you know, I I had a addiction to pornography, which progressed to uh, prostitution. Um, and uh, one day, one of the prostitutes that I had visited, uh, uh, I, well, I found out a a bit later when I was arrested that she was underage 
and uh, I wound up doing five years in the state uh, prison for that. Uh, but you should know that being a sex offender in the state of Georgia is a life sentence. You can never, uh, quote unquote, serve your time because you're on the sex offender registry and uh, literally where you can live, where you can work uh, is is controlled by, by the state. Uh, and I will tell you, you do not want to uh, be an older person in our state prison system. Um, so uh, I'm very blessed to have survived, but I know a lot of people that did not survive. Older white guys don't do so good in prison, just to, just to say. And um, so, uh, yeah, this this disease, I, I had no earthly idea that this uh, prostitute was underage. Didn't, you know, she represented herself to be a, a, of age and all. So it could happen to, to anybody. Um, that uh, yeah, I mean, you don't know. You don't know who you're you're messing with, and uh, uh, the the consequences of that can be uh, can really be fatal. Um, taking a lot out of me. I can't haven't been able to work. Um, and just a warning on that. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Mike, sexaholic. I was in this program also, I don't know, seven years or so ago. And, um, you know, I did well at the beginning. There are people in this program here who, you know, I'm glad to see survived those seven years and are still sober. And I was not one of them. Uh, I was sort of a combination of everybody on this panel uh, at various times in that stretch. Um, not being true or faithful during periods of time and two-stepping um, at periods of time. And then finally, a couple of years ago, I decided I wasn't, uh, didn't want it enough, and I left. Uh, and then, you know, that didn't solve the problem. The acting out continued. Uh, and then I got to, uh, you know, I hit 60 years old, and I thought, well, that's why I bother at this point now. You know, I'm too old, and this doesn't really matter. Probably everything is destroyed behind me. So, um, but there was something in me that didn't want to give up. And so, um, some circumstances changed and I found myself still wanting to come back to the program. And so for the last couple of months, I've been um, trying to get footing in the program. And I'd say the last year or two, I hadn't had more than 17 days of sobriety, trying to white knuckle it on my own. Um, today's sort of a good day for me because it's day 18. <laughs> so... Uh, that's the best I've done in, in, a, in a couple of years. Um, it's also um, due to the fact that I'm, I'm in the program and being a little more honest and rigorous. Um, so I, I do have a specific, some specific questions for the panel, if that's allowed, if I can open up a question to you guys, because, you know, I'm finding myself in day 18, you know, still swimming a lot in negative thought, um, still fighting hard to resist very ingrained uh, patterns that have deepened over the last couple of years when I left the program. Are there any specific things you found worked for you in those early days to get through? Um, excuse, me, was, excuse, excuse me. I think that would have to be answered at the end of the meeting. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, if we have time at the end of the meeting. Thanks. Thank you.
John Sexaholic. I'm grateful for this program today. I wasn't always grateful for it. Uh, I had about four years of some sort of sobriety, you know, and then uh, three years of lying, like one of the panelists talked about, because I wanted my ego to be uh, adored and worshipped, and uh, uh, I was not powerless. I thought I could handle things. Uh, I did not surrender, and now I've been sober three months, a little over three months, and uh, what's different about my program today is I am powerless over it. I had a dream last night, and it was a sexual dream, and I thought, can I will this away? And I couldn't. I had to ask God to take it away. I had to say, hey, I am powerless over this dream because uh, I'm 68 now, and I, I wake up frequently in the middle of the night, and uh, I'm apt to have these sort of things. And, and uh, before, I would just say, I, I can handle this. I could do it. But I, I really can't. I am powerless over lust, so I have to surrender every time I... Uh, it happens to me it, uh, it enters in my life and uh, hopefully that will work for me glad to be here today, thanks thanks, thanks. Uh, hi everybody I'm Ed W. from Global area hey, Ed. Hey, Ed. Um, and um, it's good to be here and what I've heard already really strikes home. Lust is deadly, cunning, baffling, powerful, maybe even more cunning, baffling, and powerful than other drinks. And it is a drink for me. I get powerless over lust and uh, the obsession, the insidious insanity that precedes the first drink uh, leads me to the first drink. And then, then I have no power. I'm not running the show. Lust is. And... Uh, you know, I, I've got considerable time and freedom, and I'm grateful for that. Um, one of the guys that founded uh, SA, got an SA started in Louisville, Kentucky, died in a parking lot in Louisville. Um, he was propositioned by an undercover police woman uh, on a Friday night. Saturday night, they found him uh, with a bullet in his chest uh, in a parking lot. He had used drugs then, but uh, lust was what put him there. Uh, I know it, and and, uh, in the time I knew him, he never had a real solid program. He was afraid to go to meetings where there's women. Women are not the problem. It's the lust in my heart that's the problem. And uh, I've got a subscription to Sports Illustrated. I didn't ask for it. It just started coming and uh, had it for a year and uh, twice now uh, swimsuit edition I threw it away the uh, recent just a picture uh, threatened me and uh, you know I, the time I got it, it's still right there wanting me back and uh, if I don't have a spiritual condition I don't have a shot Hi, I'm Bill. I'm sexaholic. Pride. That would be my problem. Um, I was away from SA for just under a year, and it started because uh, we had a friend of the family that was going to move in with us and be a boarder. She was going to be a teacher far away from her home, and she would come. And at any rate, uh, 
I was too prideful. I didn't want her to know that I was involved in this program. I didn't want her to see me going to these meetings. And so I stayed home. I, I got this, God. Uh, I can handle this. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I just spiraled down, spiraled down. And, and finally, after she left, I realized, no, I can't be there. So my pride kept me away. Thanks. My name's Tommy, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, you three could have written my autobiography. Um, I have 19 days of sobriety, and I have a sponsor who's actually attending this conference today. Um, and I think it was you, Graham, that was talking about pride. And I can see now that pride goes before the fall, and I've fallen a lot. Uh, it's for the reason I'm in this group today is because I just didn't seem to be able to get con- you know any traction and and stay true, and I realized that it was it was my pride and I wanted my cake and I wanted me to eat it too, and uh, that's just not possible. You got to pick one. You got to choose. And as of today, uh, coming to this conference, you know, I, I, I prayed about it and I said, you know, I've got to I've got to choose as of today. And I've got to make a choice that I want to live because it may not kill me physically, although I'm fairly sure that I would probably have a heart attack sometime later. But uh, emotionally, it'll kill me dead. In fact, I'm I'm in a critical condition of emotional death. Um, my my thing is that it, we call it a slip or a relapse or whatever. I've heard that it said that if you uh, if you relapse, then it's you know, pretty much confirming that you're not, uh, that you're not committed to your recovery. So, that's where I am today. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm Ed, I'm a sexaholic. Um, when I first got in the program, um, I thought uh, I just needed to quit acting out. I thought that was the problem. And then I found out, well, that's not the problem, that lust is the problem. And I thought, and then found out about lust and what it was, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, I'll just quit lusting. <laughs> yeah, that worked. <laughs> and and then I found out that lust wasn't the problem. And it's like, well, dang it. You know, tell me what the problem is. And, and the problem is you, Ed. Uh, no, no, it can't be that simple. And... You know, um, I I thought all I had to do was quit acting out, and there was just so much more. Uh, and you know, I am screwed up from the neck up. You know, uh, it, the problem is, you know, I hear people say, uh, "I'm a sexaholic," and the problem is me. And man, I relate to that so much. Um, I remember early on in the program, I heard somebody say, "I'm grateful to be a sexaholic," and I thought they were insane. Well, yeah, insanity, but. Uh, <laughs> And so I, at some point I started saying that myself. So I met I'm a sexaholic. I'm grateful that I am a sexaholic because had it not been for this program, I would certainly be dead because I wanted to kill myself at some point. Had a gun in the house, could have done it. Uh, and somehow I forgot that it was right in the nightstand right next to my bed. I, I don't know how that happened. Well, I know how it happened. It was God. You know, is it odd or is it God, right? So, yeah. So anyway, that's all. Thanks. Thank you. 
Hey guys, Jim, uh, sexaholic. Yeah. Um, my sobriety dates November 20th, 2014. So I, I guess I would share, uh, what I wanted to do was to share what made the difference for me. I went through, um, my pride was a big issue. I was a re- uh, relentlessly, um, relapser. I was lying just like a lot of people had talked about. My wife had caught me, uh, November, 20th, uh, 2014, and I had to admit to the therapist that I was lying to him. I had to admit to a group that I was lying to all of them. My therapist suggested, and I went through with it, was a lie detector test. And I kind of left that with my wife that whenever she needed it, she could call on it, you know, and I would be right there and do it. Uh, but when I did the lie detector test, I had to admit a bunch of other things, which made it even worse. Um, and she, having had 28 years of um, recovery in alcohol, she was like kind of a Nazi Al-Anon. I didn't want to go to meetings. I lived an hour away from the meetings. She said, no, you're going. So I literally, four or five days a week, I drove an hour each way. I watched videos. I kind of did anything and everything I could do for my recovery. What made a big difference for me was... My pride was I was not asking for help. So the first thing I did was I got a really good sponsor and made a big difference. Um, I also looked at my spiritual, where I was. I was very agnostic. I got involved in a church, um, you know, uh, and it, it made a big difference. Um, I also went on a spiritual retreat in Arizona, and that made a big difference. It was kind of a grief process. And during the process, I, um, I thank God to this day that I got into recovery mainly because my son, a year later, a year and a half later, my wife thought I had cheated again or looked at pornography. I had never really cheated with someone else. It was always pornography. So in the end, it turned out, you know, she kept calling me, you're not coming home, you're not coming home, you're not coming home. And it turned out it was my son. Um, and he was looking at pornography. So my youngest sponsor at that time was my 12-year-old son who is now 14 and he's doing well but if I hadn't reached that point of understanding how bad it was I would not have been able to to help him and continue to help others my brother called me January 2nd I took him down to tablet recovery and he's just went home yesterday with alcohol addiction so just wanted to share thanks guys I think we have time for one more share I'm Andy. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I could really relate to uh, working my program. Um, I was working the program as well as I understood it um, out of tremendous fear. Um, the being powerless over lust just terrified me um, because I was so powerless. I could not do anything about this. And so I kept trying to get... I kept hoping that if I was sober long enough that I would get some power over this. And... Uh, what I discovered is that calendar sobriety got me drunk. I got 18 months a couple of times, and, you know, the more sober, I, the longer I was sober, um, the more lust would kind of creep in, and I would think I could handle a little bit of it. And that line in the Why Stop Lusting, you know, we had to admit that lust always leads to acting out. That was a huge one for me. And uh, and getting over complacency was, was, a, was a big one for me. Um, you know, the thing that Harvey says that, you know, I got 30 years sobriety, but I don't promise you tomorrow. Um, and that, 
the, the concept of that was terrifying to me. You know, the, 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 even thinking about that, that, that no matter how sober I am, I cannot promise you tomorrow. Um, and yet, that's freedom. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. That's all the time we have. I'd like to thank everyone for participating. Please join me in thanking our panel. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 step and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, the address, and the phone number of anyone you meet or learn about an essay to yourself. And what we say here, we let it stay here. Remember, we never identify ourselves publicly with essay in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. Let us circle up after a moment of silent meditation, and I would like to ask Graham to close us out in the prayer of his choice. Moment of silence, let's say the third step prayer together. Prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to deal with thee and to do with me as thou wilt, relieving me of the bondage of self that I may do thy will, taking away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I will help, of thy power, of thy love, and thy way of life. May I do my will always. Keep coming back to the works of your work. You've got to work every day, every night. Keep working. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah.